0: Once again, happy Mother's Day. Pray that all the prayers that were just prayed for you would be answered, and it's like all the prayers, mothers, that you've prayed for us to be answered as well. My name is Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here, and I'm very grateful that you all are here, whether you're here at the South Park campus, or you are joining us online at one of our other campuses, or you are at home gathered with us as well. Uh, By way of kind of participation, with your hands in the air, I wanted to kind of take a poll. When it comes to where you get your news, how many of you would say that the primary place you get your news right now, primary, is the radio? How many of you would say radio? Okay, we got, we got one right there. How many of you would say it is printed, like magazine or newspaper? That's your primary place for information for news? Just a couple, not, not very many. How many of you would say it's through either TV or cable that you get most of your news? Okay, awesome. And then how many of you would say it's online social media? The truth about it is there's Pew Research came out that says that two thirds of Americans, they get their news from social media. And among those, the the highest subscribers is from Facebook as well as YouTube of getting their news. So that's one question, where do you get your news? Here's the more important question. Where do you get your truth? Where do you get your, because it's easy to get news, but where do you get your truth? Because we are dealing right now with a cultural phenomenon of fake news, right? disinformation, hoaxes, propagandas that's designed to deceive or to manipulate or to control. We're not really sure if the stuff that's coming to us is absolutely true, so where do you get your truth from? Because you and I both understand how important it is to make sure that we are getting the truth that impacts our lives. And so because of the proliferation of fake news and those kinds of things, there's also been a proliferation of fact checkers, right? People who are actually checking the validity of the things that we're learning and I want to know who's checking the fact-checkers. Who's fact-checking the fact-checkers to make sure that we're still about the whole thing of truth and we're living our lives on the basis of what is, what is real. So you can go to some websites like Snopes.com. I've been using Snopes for a, a long time because I've gotten hoodwinked and I've gotten fooled by some things and uh, Snopes.com helps me to identify what's real or what's not, even though Snopes right now is kind of undergoing some critique. Or you can go to a particular television program that's called Mythbusters. Have you ever, ever seen Mythbusters? It's an Australian-American science entertainment program that was released 2003 on Discovery Network internationally. And this particular show uses aspects of the scientific method to actually validate the claims of, like, news stories or video stories or or, uh, movie scenes or rumors or myths, and it validates whether those claims are true. And at the end of every episode, they rate every one of the things that they're testing as either busted or plausible or confirmed and they actually they don't debate it they actually go through active physical testing and it's amazing the things that these guys go through for instance here are the things that they've actually proven either busted plausible or confirmed on their show it's things like do people choose dogs that look like them they've, they've tested that one here's another one is it better i love this one is it better to stay in one lane in heavy traffic or change lanes I would like to know the answer to that question. Can you really play tennis on an airplane wing mid-flight? They actually tested that one. Another one is, is sunscreen flammable? That's probably something you'd want to know. Um, Can you actually herd cats? Can you survive a 35-foot fall while covered in bubble wrap? When it comes to the competition between men and women, they've actually tested this. Who's better at driving? Who's better at grilling? Who's better at packing a car for a trip? Here's, I've I've always wondered about this one. Can someone survive a multi-story elevator fall by jumping up right before the elevator hits the ground? I've always wondered about that one. I don't know how they tested that. Does a person save more gas driving with the windows up and the AC on or the windows down? Two more. Are elephants really afraid of mice? I watched this one. And what they did was they released mice right around elephants that were heading in a particular direction. And the mice came out. When the elephant saw that, the elephant ran the other direction. So apparently they've got some kind of a fear. And then finally, can a motorcycle travel over water at high speeds? I watched that one as well. I thought it would be a face plant right away. But it went for like, like 50 to 100 yards at high speed across the water. So you can go to programs like that to determine whether or not something is true, plausible, or Completely implausible to be able to identify what is truth. Now, here's the thing fake news is not a new phenomenon. It's been around ever since the fall. People have been saying things that have been not true, of being able to control or deceive or to twist or distort for their own particular benefits. But here's what we come to understand you do become what you believe. You do become what you believe. What you believe shapes your perspective, it shapes your expectations, it shapes your conduct, your character. Ultimately, what you believe shapes your destiny. So it's important. We need to make sure that what we believe is based on what is true and not just what is taught. Make sure that what you believe is based on what is true, not just on what is taught. We've got all kinds of challenges in our day and age, but in this particular passage of Scripture we're dealing with in 2 Peter, there were some first century challenges that they were dealing with, some fake news and and some distortions as well. Peter the Apostle of Jesus Christ writes this letter right around the mid-A.D. 60s Uh, And he's about to die in about the next two years, about to be martyred. But he's writing this particular uh, letter to encourage Christians to live lives that are confident and courageous. And it turns out that at this particular point, the megalomaniac, Emperor Nero, desiring to rebuild Rome in his own image, burned Rome. Started fires, this is what one of the traditions says, started fires that took down about two-thirds of the Roman culture. We had shrines, temples, household gods were destroyed, and the people were upset. Bitter and resentful. He didn't take the credit for that. As a matter of fact, Nero decided what he would do is, looking for a scapegoat, he redirected the hostility and put the blame for what he did, according to tradition. He put the blame on Christians. He blamed the Christians for the fires that took down Rome. And then he began an all full scale assault on Christians, rounding them up, torturing them covering them with animal skins, feeding them to dogs, wild dogs that would tear them to pieces and to death, burning Christians alive and crucifying them because of his hatred for Christianity and putting the blame on them, this fake news that enabled him to get his work done, his objectives accomplished at the expense of the lives of Christians. So the first century Christians that Peter's writing to, they're dealing with these, this kind of unbelievable uptick in persecution, that would ravage their lives but i want also deal with the challenges of corruption false teachers who are actually preaching and teaching falsehoods fake news disinformation designed to unsettle or unseat their faith in Christ and his prophecies here in the 21st century we're dealing with challenges like that as well especially against Christianity because we live in a world that is consistently hostile to the truth of God, and that hostility is not just in the world, it's also found its way in the church. And so what Peter desires to be able to encourage the saints then is good for us today, that we can also learn how we can be equipped to live the lives that are based on truth, that we can live lives that are courageous based on the revelation of God. Even though right now, Christians in America do not face anywhere near the torture that thousands of our brothers and sisters all over the world are facing at this particular point. Still, we are encouraged to take up the banner for what is true and to live our lives accordingly. And so we'll take a look at this particular passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. And so if you are able, in the honor of the reading of God's word, as is our practice here, I ask you wherever you may be to stand, and we'll take a look at this passage from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. Here's what he writes. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven While we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man, instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In the previous passage, Peter does everything he can to make sure that the Christians there will be able to remember remember what's important. Now he wants to make sure that they are rooted in that which is solid, the divine revelation of God. And So the first thing that Peter does is he confronts the heresy. He confronts the heresy. We see that in this particular passage, it's important that before you can confront a person or somebody who is an antagonist to the faith, you got to know what their beef is, specifically what is that. And Peter here says in the very first verse, he says, We did not follow. That word for follow means to be conformed to something as a follower with the intent to follow through with detailed and a dependent manner. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised or skillfully concocted myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word for myth, in literary devices, it's maybe a, a story or a tale of fiction that carries some degree of truth. But in the scripture, myth is never used with anything positive. Myths are actually fables of falsehoods and pretenses. And there's about the coming, that word there for coming It's about a king who returns in glory and honor. And so Christians will always understand that particular usage of the term to refer to Jesus Christ's second coming. Apparently, the false teachers were saying, nope, it's not going to happen. It's not real. Put it out of your mind and therefore live whatever way that you want. The case is that they're saying that Jesus Christ did not mean what he said and the apostles are making a story up. Now, it's understandable that that particular heresy might have some legs to it because Jesus hadn't come back yet. They were dealing with intense persecution, and so it could cast some doubt and confusion upon the veracity of Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus was a perpetrator of the hoax himself. But more, it's probably that the disciples, don't listen to what the disciples are saying. Uh, They're they're making it up. They've contrived and put this story together, which in itself is kind of ridiculous, right? Here's the thing. These disciples of Jesus Christ, they, were suffer- they suffered a devastating defeat on Friday night when Jesus Christ was tortured and crucified to death and laid in a tomb. All their dreams or hopes were completely dashed. Now they were overcome and oppressed by fear and guilt and shame about what would take place. And somehow these men... In that particular depressed state of mind, that somehow they would come together and they would conspire and they would contrive something that they knew to be false and emerge with confidence and courage and it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. That they would be willing to sacrifice their lives for something that they know was not true. And yet these false teachers are saying, yes, these are contrived stories that these apostles are coming up with. And Peter would outright reject that notion completely that distorts the reality of the resurrection, but also of the return of Christ. So the next thing that Peter does is he validates the credibility of his ministry, even his calling. We see that in verse 16 as, as well, when Peter says, nope, we didn't follow these clever stories, these cleverly contrived stories instead, but to the contrary, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Folks, there there is something powerful about the testimony of a person who says, no, I, I didn't just think it. It wasn't just told to me. I saw it. I experienced it. As a matter of fact, this was a powerful reality for Peter and his compatriots, James and John, as John would write later on in his own letter in John, 1 John Chapter 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed. Our hands have touched concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was entrusted, was revealed to us. They're basically saying, no, no, no. This this, this wasn't something we dreamed up. We weren't in some kind of a Zen state. Didn't sit cross-legged on some mountain. Our eyes didn't roll back in in our heads, and we just had a vision. No, we saw him. We were with him. We touched him. We heard from him. All the smells that were a part of what it means to be hanging out with a bunch of guys, we smelled all of that too. Jesus was personal up close and personal with us, and we experienced this together. It underscores the credibility of his ministry that, indeed, Peter is an authorized person to speak of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so what Peter does, he then references a powerful experience in his life, what took place on the mountain of transfiguration, It turns out that Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 had just been explaining to people the qualifications of what it means to truly follow him. What does Jesus expect from a disciple of his? And in verse 28, he says, truly I tell you, this is after he's ending this, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. That ends chapter 16. Verse 17, a few days later, Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain to pray. You'll find out when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke that at some particular point, again, the disciples got sleepy. But Jesus, as he was praying, the scripture says, his face was transfigured, and it shone like the sun. His clothes became whiter than any bleach could whiten. The scripture says it was like a flash of lightning. Not that light was shining on him, but that light was coming from him. And all of a sudden then, he is flanked on either side in glory with the prophets Moses and Elijah. And they're having a convo with Jesus in the glorified, transfigured, majestic form. And they're talking to Jesus about his departure, his going to Jerusalem, leaving Jerusalem, his ascension. They're talking about all of that. And it's right around that time that Peter wakes up. (laughs) He's still sleepy, and he comes to. You know how you are when you got like, shaken out of sleep? And you say weird things. Well, Peter just just blurts out of his mind and says, Lord, it's good that we are here. Should we build a shelter for you and Moses and Elijah? Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I'm thinking Moses and Elijah, when they heard that, they looked at Jesus and said, that's the rock? That guy's the rock. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I know. Peter, Peter, watch me, sleep. Because Peter didn't know what was going on. But it made such an indelible impression upon Peter. He would never get that out of his mind, and so much so that as part of the validity that, that gives credibility to his statement, to his ministry. He refers to this powerful statement that we were on the mountain with Jesus when we beheld his glory. And we ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were on the holy mountain. The voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Here's what I'm grateful for. The foundation of our Christian faith doesn't rest on what a person feels. It doesn't rest on taking blind leaps. There is actually concrete foundations to the Christian faith. When you take a look at the passage in Hebrews chapter 11 that says faith is, the synonyms for faith, when you look at all the translations, listen to these words of what faith is, synonym synonym. It's assurance, confidence. Faith is conviction, reality, proof being sure of, being certain of, evidence, substance. Folks, those are concrete realities that believing in Jesus Christ and following him is not simply taking a leap out into the ether. It's based on historical reality that people saw they engaged with, and we are basing our faith on what took place in history in time that people were able to engage with as well. So Peter goes a little further. In the next passage, Peter affirms the priority of Scripture over and above, in a sense, personal experiences. He says in verse 19, we also have the prophetic word strongly, fully confirmed, made more certain. We, we have greater confidence in this message. And he says, and you'll do well to pay attention to it. Peter basically says, you know something? When I saw that vision later on, especially after the resurrection, I get it what we saw was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's not something that was disconnected from what God had already been doing, but that just confirmed it. And he says, because of those experience, it just brings to mind all that God had promised and it confirms his activity, his movement, his revelation in the world that we have been able to be eyewitnesses of. So Peter almost says, listen, this was my experience, but don't press your luck on simply just my experience. Although it's real, base your faith faith on the revealed message of the prophets of old. Hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And even as Peter and Paul and John and Mark, they're writing these letters, which will become authorized inspired scripture. Peter is saying, place your faith on the solid bedrock foundation of what God has revealed through his prophets. Allow your faith to find security in that. So let me... Let me, let me pause here for a second and, and ask a couple of questions. If you are here today and you are not yet a believer, you are a sincere and honest seeker. Or maybe you're, you're a skeptic. May I just say this to you? Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for trusting us with this part of your journey. It is a privilege to walk alongside and to have conversation and for us to learn from one, in, one another. It's our hope and desire that over time, You can understand and see the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you honor us by being here. Whether you're gathered or whether you're online watching, thank you for being a part of this. But I want to speak to those of you who are professing followers of Jesus Christ. Why do you believe what you do? Why do you believe it? Is it because it was handed down to you by a grandparent or an uncle or, or a parent? Is it because at some particular point you felt something and decided to move forward with that? Listen, that's okay. But given the nature of all of the challenges that are in life and the severe opposition that's around us, I don't know that that's sufficient without there being much more of a solid basis that grounds you and roots you in the divine revelation of God and not just an experience? Because quite frankly, a lot of people in a variety of different religions can say the exact same thing, I experienced it. What distinguishes our experience from theirs as truth? Have you taken the time to actually investigate the foundations of your faith for your? So it's not that you just know what you believe, but you also know why you believe it, and you are anchored to something way more stronger and solid than just feeling and experience. Because here's the thing, feeling and experience will not be adequate to deal with the pressures of life. You'll need something much more solid, much more abiding, and that flows from the nature of God and his word, which is, I love what Votie Bauckham, Dr. Votie Bauckham said about why he has confidence. And when I heard this particular statement from Vodi, I was like, that, I want that to be my statement as well too. And here's what he said. I have confidence in the scriptures because they are a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses who report of supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim to be divine rather than human in origin. Whoa, I know. I, I looked at that statement probably like 50 times. Because here's the thing, folks, a statement like that has to either be completely true or false. It has to either be completely true in every aspect or it is false. And the truth about it is, is that the scriptures that we have, what God has given to us, Peter will go ahead and talk about the fact that he reinforces the reliability of scripture in chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, know this no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. That word for carry is a picture of what happens with a boat, a sailboat that unfurls its sails and catches the wind. Its sails are up and it catches the wind and the wind moves the sailboat in a particular direction, guided by a rudder, no less, but it's moving because of the wind. That is what is happening in the inspiration of Scripture, that men, they wrote under the inspiration of God. God did not bypass their personality, did not bypass their their context, spoke with them as they were writing specifically about certain situations to certain people and inspired by God. The inspiration of Scripture begins with the author, not the authorized. And God inspired them with these words and they were carried along. Their lives, the sails of their lives, unfurled, Catching the, the wind of God's spirit who inspired them to write these words. That Timothy, Paul says to Timothy that these words, the scriptures, they're profitable. They're good for salvation. Also, that they're inspired by God and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and Training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These words, the scriptures, that are a light to our feet, a lamp for our pathway. These words that will never pass away, though heaven and earth will pass away, yet God's word shall remain inspired by the Holy Spirit, we have every reason for confidence because the scriptures, written over a 1,500-year period of time by over 40 authors on three different continents, it's the reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses and the report of supernatural events that took place in specific fulfillment, fulfillment of specific prophecies and that they claim to be Divine rather than human in origin. I want to let you know that that kind of resource gives us confidence, stability, foundation, courage in a world that is careening out of control because of all of the different kinds of fake distortions and twists. And yet in the midst of all of that, there is a sure foundation in the inspired word of God. He is not just giving information to us. He is disclosing personal self-disclosure, a revelation for who he is and his will for our life. That gives us the courage and the confidence of being able to live our life faithfully and courageously. So with all that, I think that the application of what Peter says in this letter is this. Pay attention to Pay attention to it. You would do well to pay attention to it. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. You will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. When my family moved from Florida to North Carolina in 1999, a couple years later, we bought a dog and our dog's name was Buster. Buster's no longer with us. Buster was an amazing dog, an incredible personality, Buster loved to howl at Andre Bocelli. Whenever Andre Bocelli was singing, Buster would howl with that. Or when we were watching Smallville, uh, the show um, on, on TV, and Remy Zero would sing the theme song wherever Buster was, he'd be singing and howling at that. But he had this fascination for light, like many animals do. But Buster's fascination with light was intense. We'd take a flashlight and shine the light on the floor, and Buster's ears would go up. He'd be really focused, and he'd run to wherever the light was, and, and he would clawing at the floor to get to the light. And we move it over and he jumped to another place, especially if the light were on the wall. This is the funnest thing. When the light was on the wall, wherever he would, he would jump to get to the wall, especially if like gets over the couch, he would jump onto the couch and get to the light that's on the wall. Even if there happened to be human beings on the couch, which there were with my kids, and I would put the light above them and Buster wouldn't care who was on the couch. All he cared about was the light and would claw his way up my children to get to the light. I've got issues, I understand that. Buster is a great example of what it means to be focused, paying attention. Nothing else matters than to get to the light. Now, listen, here's what I think that means for us. We have to come and approach the Word of God understanding that it's an expression of the almighty author. There's a reverence that we must come to the Word of God with if we're to be able to access the information, the truth that's there, and with a willingness to adjust our lives to it, not like what's going on in our world right now, especially with Christians. It seems as if Christians don't wanna adjust their lives to the truth, they want the truth to be adjusted to their life. So I'd say this, number one, application, study it. Study it. In other words, (laughs) folks, I don't think merely reading Scripture is enough anymore. Reading Scripture is not enough because there are people against the faith and they are hostile and they are studied. They're learned. They, I believe... We have to get to the place where we are intentionally investigating, examining, studying, meditating. We want to know not just what it says, but what it means. We need to stop going to the scripture for simply some type of an emotional pick-me-up every day and like access. Wait a second, this is life-transforming truth. I need to know what's in it. I need to dig in. I need to dive in. I need to do the research. I need to be responsible to access what God is trying to to say because folks we're already filling our minds up with all kinds of things we need to take away from those kinds of influences and spend time understanding what he's saying and the impact and the import for our lives and there are amazing resources after two thousand years we've been given all kinds of resources to help with that and some of the free online stuff that's there with commentaries and Bible dictionaries and word studies is available for you. So I'm going to put some stuff on the screen. You may want to jot this down. Just as far as those online resources that you can access to do a better job of studying the scriptures, like BibleStudyTools.com or BibleHub.com or BlueletterBible.org. These are particular sites I have used in my studies, in my devotionals, of being able to access greater depth and understanding of what did God mean when he wrote, when he expr- expressed it then that can have an impact on me now. But folks study it. You want you want a life that has the, the characteristic and the quality of a life that is inspired by the wind. You're not going to get that until you and I are more intent to study it. And then number two, I'd say this start with it. Start with it. In other words, when a particular issue comes up, whether it's political, a lot of that, whether it's philosophical, cultural, moral, when an issue comes up, don't start with, well, what does Wikipedia say? What does Google say? What does he say? What does she say? What does CNBC say? Don't start with what they're saying. Start with what is God's perspective on this issue and go to the scripture. Start with truth. Start with the desire to know What is God's perspective on this issue? He will always tell you the truth. So why not start there? Now, can I just go ahead and warn you? You go to the Bible for explanation of certain things, and I guarantee you, you're gonna see things you don't like. You're gonna gonna see things you don't agree with. You're gonna gonna go through, through some things that you don't understand. You're gonna scratch your head like, what's going on here? I've been there but that's because I've got an IBM. You know what an IBM is? Itty-bitty mind. And I can't access spiritual truth in and of my own. I need help of the inspirer, the Holy Spirit. But the truth is there. And it transforms life if we make ourselves available to it. Because not only should we study it, start with it, stay with it. Stay with it. Don't have a little 15-minute, 20-minute little Bible study here on Monday and then not do anything for the next couple of weeks. Don't allow what you've written down in a journal as far as an impact, something that God has shown to you, to be dismissed from your life during that day. Stay with it. Allow it to transform you as you make yourself available to the truth of the word. Because listen to me even though right now we can see a lot of beautiful things in our world, right? Sunsets, trees, flowers, birds, people. We can see things with a lot of sunlight, moonlight. We can see that. But here's a reality. From God's perspective, spiritually speaking, our world is plunged in darkness. Our world is plunged. a world that has disease. This is not a technical difficulty, but I wonder if this is not what the world looks like from a spiritual perspective. Depression, shame, wickedness, slander, malice, abuse, hostility to the truth, This is the reality of the world we live in, and we don't see that darkness very well, but God sees it perfectly. But here is the grace and the joy that in the midst of this dark world, He gives us light. He is the light. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His Word, through his people, God has not abandoned this world to darkness. But in the midst of this, gives us the power through his inspiration that we can live our lives on purpose in response to the fact that through Jesus, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, we are not left alone in the darkness. But we gotta go to it we got to make ourselves available to it. As a matter of fact, here's here's the big idea. That you and I would be faithful to live our lives under the light of God's word, his incarnate word, his inspired word, and to let the inspiration of his revelation bring his illumination to the direction of our lives until Jesus comes again. And when Jesus comes again in full glory and full light, there will be no more need for other sources. He is now and forevermore the greatest power source of hope, of peace, of truth that our souls hunger for and that this world desperately needs. So may you and I, followers of Jesus Christ, Submit ourselves to his light, to his love, to his leadership, and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that there are times that we prefer sources of darkness than your light. Confess that. And yet here in this place and being confronted with your spirit and your word, we acknowledge there is no greater transforming power than that which comes from you for us. So Lord, we pray that you would direct our steps, our efforts, our concentrations, our meditations upon what you have already disclosed that sets us free from the influence and the contagion and the distortion of those whose lives stand against your truth, that our lives can stand for it and also connect them to the hope that there is in Jesus. We pray that you give us the courage, the will, to study, to start with you and to remain, to abide in Christ for your perfect will to be done in our lives, through our lives, and in your world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We ask you to stand on your feet and let's respond now together in worship.